Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. One of the sponsors has been with us from the beginning is our friends out in North Carolina, Highland Canine at Tactical Police Canine, letter K number nine, training.com. They are full service from top to bottom, left to right, north, south, east to west. They have everything, pointy ears, floppy ears, whatever you want, and they are a full service kennel doing seminars as well as handler schools for complete, completed dogs and as well as green dogs. So be sure to hit them up, Highland Canine at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. The Pergasons are fantastic people. Uh, Jason's been on the podcast as well, so go hook, look up his episode. Our uh, One of my favorite sponsors is Dogtra. Uh, the folks over at dogtra.com, they've been doing this for a long time, guys. Um, their e-collars, bark collars, everything they do, we love it. We have a great relationship with them. Uh, they give a discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over $200. I tell everybody I have a kennel full of Dogtra e-collars. Most importantly, I have a kennel full of Dogtra bark collars. The YS600, to me, is the best piece of equipment in all of dogs. Check them out, dogtra.com. Check them out on Instagram at dogtraofficial. We really like the guys at Ray Allen Manufacturing. They've been around for freaking ever. They were making working dog equipment before they were working dogs for uh, working bison, apparently. So, uh, and our, their product designer is one of our favorite people, Matt Matt Wilson. We love Matt. So, uh, rayallen.com. And everyone thinks, you know, it's only for police and military dogs, and that's not the case. If you have a working dog, whether it's police and military or search and rescue or even hunting. And even if you got pets, they have literally everything minus the dog and the patrol car that you would need to outfit a working team or a pet team for anything, whether it be scent work, whether it be our AKC or UKC scent work, all the way up to explosive and narcotics detection for military and police teams and everything in between. So be sure to hit them up at rayallen.com. Use the discount code working dog radio spelled out for 10% off your order. Probably, absolutely, not even probably, our first sponsor and longest sponsor is Arno over at ALM. Probably, to me anyways, one of the best guys in all of canine. Um, His website, almcanineequipment.com. You can get on there, give him a call, email him. He's the only guy you're going to talk to, uh, almcanineequipment.com. He has easily the best tugs in the business. His bite suits are amazing. They last for a long time. Ted will tell you he's got the same jacket since uh, Noah threw the ark out there. And uh, his hidden sleeve, I still say, is the best in the business. Check him out. Use a discount code WDRADIO, all spelled out, 10% off your first order. Check him out on Instagram, ALM Canine Equipment. Horizon Structures. If you need a one-stop shop, so basically you call these guys, you tell them what you need, it gets dropped off at your location, you plug the water in and the electricity and you can put dogs in it that day. They have everything from two dog kennels all the way up to a massive 40 foot long one that can house, I think 16 if I remember correctly. And that's indoor, outdoor with a feed room and everything in between. They've got something to fit every budget as well. Be sure to hit them up at horizonstructures.com and look for the commercial dog kennel section of of the website and it'll give you everything you need. They have multiple options for doors, 
flooring, plumbing, electricity. They even have an option for solar if you're in a portion of the country, but it's not gray like it is here right now. Hmm. So if you have an option for that, you're lucky. So hit them up, horizonstructures.com. Get yourself set up and start selling dogs today. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers from the tundra of fucking Oklahoma right now. Uh, it's not as cold as where Eric's at, but this is the coldest it's been here since 1983. This sucks. So uh, with me as always is Eric Stambro from uh, Canton, Ohio. Eric, what's up? Uh, you are correct. It is cold <laughs> as shit here. We are... Um... Uh, two weeks into a cold, usually at Ohio, man, you get three or four days and then it breaks and then kind of melts everything. And then we're in the thirties and it, we're, we're single digits or teens and twenties now for two straight weeks. I looked, it's not supposed to get any warmer. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm working up a couple green dogs for the class that starts March 1st and I, you know, listen, I do tracking in the cold. That's not a problem, but beginning brand new dogs, it's a little difficult. And, uh, tonight's really bad. Uh, when we're done with this, I have to go back to the kennel and put everybody to bed. And that's uh, about eight minutes drive, which will probably be 15 minutes tonight. It's my wife just got yeah. home a little bit ago. She says 20 miles an hour. So yeah, we had to uh, crappy. blow the lines down. So we have no running water at the kennel um, and our floating food. And I mean, it's like, what's the nice thing is all the turds are frozen, which is cool. Hmm. So that's easy to clean, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I mean, it's, you know, we're supposed to be, I think Saturday and Sunday, it's supposed to be six. Then wind chill on Friday or on Monday morning is supposed to be, or Sunday morning is supposed to be negative 38. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. So looking Fun forward to that, heat, which fucking, is a big deal. Yeah, fucking God bless. So <laughs> I'm working, I'm still working. I'm still, you know, we're tracking, uh, and doing some other stuff I had and this green dog, Little Jack, the one that came, you know, and he's, I got to put him in the car today because he lives outside and he's in the, he's in the uh, kennel in the back of my car. And <laughs> obviously the car, the heat's on and I opened the door to get him out and he's like, no, I ain't getting out. I had to reach in there and grab him. I was like, get your ass out the fucking car. Let's go. <laughs> we're going to go, we're going to go track. Dude. He's like, no, I'm good for him. We're not doing anything today. No. So he went and tracked. Uh, and of course, that's what I got pepper. We got those, I got those two labs too that I'm still working. So uh, Jack and Castle, floppy Jack and Castle. So uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're rocking and rolling. So, and I've got some green dogs coming from our buddy out in Connecticut here pretty quick. So um, cool. yeah, some green, some dual purpose dogs. So uh, outside of that, what do we got going on tonight? So tonight we are continuing on with our Australian series. Um, we have, uh, we have a good buddy over there who has recommended some pretty solid guests to us for this little series. Uh, we had one guy on and then we had a, a gap where it was just me and you bitching about a lot of stuff. Right. And then we had Pat Stewart on, uh, for those of you who would have already seen it by the time this episode comes out, the guys from the, uh, canine paradigm, Pat Stewart did not know that everybody over here just calls him Pat Stew. I was surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. Shocked. I, yeah <laughs> he's like really i go yeah no nobody I mean, knows your actual last name bro <laughs> he said you need to buy that that uh get on GoDaddy and buy the domain name right. so we wanted to keep with it um our first uh guest was more on the sports side 
Uh, Pat's been a little bit of both being having been in the military, but tonight we wanted to get into more of the law enforcement working dog side and the, and the tactical canine side of it in Australia and kind of see how that all came about. So with us is our friend, Ben Richards. Ben, how are you, buddy? Yeah, good, Ted. Eric, how's yourselves? We're good. We're good. It's yeah. a 16 hour difference, I think. So it's 8 59 PM. So you're coming up on noon over there. Yeah, we're coming up midday. I just noticed the air temperature over here is at 30, 30 degrees Celsius, about hundred percent humidity. <laughs> Sounds like magic. Yeah. So Ted and I wearing hoodies. Do you guys even own hoodies in, in over where it you're gets at? cold there? Yeah. <laughs> it Best does? place in the country in winter. Summer is horrendous over here. <laughs> it gets cold there, right? I mean, like down. Yeah, not too bad. It doesn't drop below probably 18 degrees, I reckon. Celsius. Yeah. Celsius. Yeah. Because yeah. the United States were, you know. You both can stop talking Fair now high. because I'm so <laughs> sick and, uh, and angry over this. I was today at the kennel at about 5.30, uh, breaking dogs, so, you know, before I fed them and everything. And I was sitting there coming up with the whole pitch to my wife to move. Can we please move out of here? And I know the answer because we have a daughter in college that's an hour and a half away and we got to wait, you know, and she's only a freshman. So we're kind of screwed, but gosh, dang it, man. It cold, <laughs> the cold is, you know, I used to run marathons. I always ran spring marathons. So I trained in the winter. I, the winter's the reason I stopped running marathons. Uh, and I liked it. Um, I just, I'm just over it, man. I can't, I'm tired of wearing uh, Carhartts and look like a firefighter turnout gear and layers and all that other crap. But anyways, enough of that. So Ben, let's um, talk about, uh, tell everybody who you are and kind of a little bit of your history and what led us up to today. Yeah. Uh, Ted Eric, oh, well, I'm attached to the Special Emergency Response Team, um, the tactical group within Queensland, Australia. Um, I'm currently a, a sergeant with that unit. With that, we um, have a canine cell. The program is constantly um, evolving um, every year. Um, we just ramped it up only last year. We ran our first inaugural um, tactical working dog course, myself and uh, another lad, Senior Constable Leonard. So it's it's quite exciting times for us at the minute, uh, pushing into that, uh, you know, that, that professional realm with the tactical working dogs. Um the program itself obviously initiated, uh, it was probably 15 years ago, um, by the name of um, Sean Chapman. And we've just constantly evolved from that point. Um, and now with the support of um, our SF friends here in Australia, we've, we've got a, a program and a template I think we're happy with. Um, our dogs, we've only, we're only currently evolving slowly. We've got two dogs and one in development development at the minute so one in brisbane one in Cairns. so the units split because queensland's such a large state um and yes yeah, so we our dogs are dual handled um cuda the one in brisbane so we have two handlers that handle one dog um it, it, unfortunately we deal with a a command structure where they want to const constantly prove the concept because obviously dogs cost a lot of money. The program costs a lot of money to run with equipment and it's got to be shared amongst other portfolios. So, but anyway, the long and short of it is um, we had to reset 
and we've added this into our program now. And I, I think we're we're going in good stead with especially with the new dog Gen. Uh, the next dog will be Gen three, Generation three. Um, both the Cairns dog and he will have odor detection uh, imprinted in on them. So plus all the other capabilities that we uh, that we that we allow in the dogs or create into the dogs. I originally started with the police in 99, um, started with CERT in 2002, and then um, basically went uh, just as an operator for X amount of years, and then I went out, had a break, as a, and I went and become a GP handler, which is a general purpose dog handler in Mackay, Queensland. I uh, did three years there just as a um, operational handler, and then I went back to um, CERT, did a did a stint back on the tools as just an operator and then I went as a cert dog handler and that's when we started looking at evolving our program and, and push to where we are today. So, yeah, we're, we're in good stead. It's 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 a constant battle, is, as everyone knows, with canine programs, but I, I think we're looking good for the future. So, yeah, that's it. So when you got on the uh, department and we're doing um... – uh, you know, just regular patrol duties was uh, getting on cert. Was that a, a dream? Was that a thing? Did you know before you got hired that was one of your goals? Uh, so you go through obviously academy, and then you just go as a general copper. I didn't really have the aspirations to join cert. Um, so obviously, it's quite a vigorous selection process, like all other PDGs and and your SWATs, I suppose, over in the states. So I didn't have any aspirations at that point. And then one of my mates said, oh, I'm going for selection. So I thought, oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have a crack. And then, yeah, basically from there, 2002, I um, I joined the unit and, and went from there. So so you you go to, you go in there for a little bit. You come out. You're doing a um, – working a, a dog in the regular police. Uh, tell us about that dog. Yeah, so when I joined, so I just had a break from CERT for a couple of years and I had – did the GP component, which is the general purpose dog handling, um, which is a based out of Brisbane, but we have regional uh, dog teams that cover the whole state, um, whether that's a two-man um, section or a four-man, depending on where you are. But in Mackay, there was two of us um, and uh, myself and, and Marcus Hahn, which is my OIC. And basically, yeah, we, we just run – run the dog we're on call so you'll do eight on six off and we're on call whilst we're on those eight days we only work eight hour shift or a 10 hour shift and then we're on call the following hours until the other bloke relieves us when we go on our six days off so Mackay was um a busy little hub a lot of call outs a lot of tracks a lot of good a lot of good crooks there like high level crooks um so I've got a real good uh real um, solid baseline for tracking. Um, I had a really solid dog too, really high drive. It was like a shepherd in a Malamar's body. So, um, it, yeah, it was good. And I, I learned a hell of a lot in relation to tracking urban, suburban, rural, cane, everything um, with that dog. So it was more of a hunting canine, but I uh, did a lot of work. Uh, getting his nose down on track and aging track and various surfaces, but he, he, he was on song in the end. So, so the last interview we did, we talked to Pat and Glenn about, they kind of enlightened us as to, I mean, I realize Australia is like a giant Island. Um, and you guys have some pretty stringent uh, laws about getting dogs into the country. So 
what were some of the challenges like for dog selection um, or I guess even currently now, like you guys said, you're on Gen 3. What are the challenges like for, you know, getting your GP dog, but then now getting your SF dogs uh, or, you know, your cert dogs um, into the country or are they homegrown or where do they come from? And what does that process look like? Because I mean, where Eric and I are at, I mean, we just call a vendor and they ship them. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we do, so we try to get homegrown dogs. We don't import, obviously. Um, we allow the vendors to do that or the breeders to do that. Um, we have um, some close ties with um, with vendors across Australia that produce decent working lines. Um, a lot. So, so currently, the the dog we have in Brisbane, he's he's about five years old. So Cuda, uh, we've bred off him, and so the the dog, the TWD we have up here, which is a tactical working dog, Cairns. It's his, um, it's his prodigy. So we know that the dog itself has proven multiple times over. So uh, we try and we try and keep the working lines. So then we know that the dog we've ticked that box and and we're sort of guaranteed a point where we know the dog will work on the road under pressure. So, but to answer your question, uh, Ted, yeah, we try and do all homegrown stuff. Um, there are some good breeders here. We do. We don't do shepherds in cert. We do males. Um, I know the GP world, they use shepherds. They are a lot more hardier with the tracking side of it, a bit more stable compared to a male. But for what we need, the male-wise, is, um, yeah, they're on song every day of the week for the, the high drive, high agility work that we do. So going, going back to when you were working the GP dog, so over here, you have kind of two schools based on the size of your department and how busy they are and, and what they want to do. You have the guys that are just cops with a dog in the back of the car and they have to handle accidents, DUIs, every other bullshit call that comes in. Then you have guys like my department that don't handle those calls. They handle canine calls. Yeah, they got to go to some domestics, anything that's going to have some violence in it. They go to those, but we don't typically do too many reports and we don't handle any accidents. How, how did it work for you in Queensland there, just as a regular GP handler? Yeah, so we uh, we can choose what jobs uh, we go to depending on the the task or the actual offence being committed. So, yeah, the, 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 the canine handlers, they will be tasked generally. They can go and do disturbances, support the the, the frontline police, but generally they'll, they'll attend anything related to dog potential runners, um, a less lethal component that you use that canine in. So they can pick and choose to a point depending on the commanding officer, what they want at the ultimately. But, yeah, we don't have a um, comm section just allocated to the dogs. It'll all go through one command uh, correction, one correct um, comm centre, and then the boys and girls just sift out what jobs are going to be suitable and where they're going to potentially have a win, um, yeah, with the dog. So I do like to ask guys when they worked a dog a long time ago, so you had this high-speed shepherd doing tracking. You obviously like the way he worked and that. What did you dislike about that dog? Uh, to be honest, I didn't have a lot of dislikes. Um yeah, he, he was he was he, he he matched my personality. So, um, yeah, he, he had a really good 
uh, work ethic, you know, that the dog would constantly just keep hunting to, um, like, I remember we were doing a track, like I was tracking um, a stolen car which had crashed into the cane and I think we were out on, on track for four hours um, and he, at the end, he ended up locating, uh, I think, three of the four targets. So, and there's other times where I've been on track for whole, uh, one, uh, I think it was just like a six-hour period um, and then, yeah, we got a couple of bites on that on that job, so which was good for him. Rewarded his uh, his solid behaviour. So yeah, yeah. That in the long and the short of it, we um, we, we we try and I didn't notice any weaknesses that he had apart from he was a bit of a hunting dog. So he wasn't a footstep tracker like um, some of the uh, really good GP shepherds are. But I liked it because he got he got me to the end quite quickly. You know what I mean? And close the gap between me and the target quite quickly. Whereas we have the opposite philosophy in um, the tactical working dogs. We we like to slow the track down a bit. Um, it's just a, a walking pace so the other operators can support that handler effectively, you know, they do an all-round offence, fire and move, the constant disruption to the dog tracking, but the dog is used to that that type of method. So, yeah, we, we do a little bit different method of tracking um, speed-wise, but overall it's generally still high drive compared to what um, tons of my first dog was. Yeah, we had uh, actually one of my buddies on here um, a couple episodes, well, more than a couple, like five or six episodes ago from our local sheriff's department that is a uh, human tracker that is – fantastic and you know kind of off mic we were talking about the difference between you know tactical tracking and the like a patrol track like you're talking about but um so once you finish um you know gp you know has a general purpose handler and you move into being an operator um you know you uh sort of like kind of helped develop the program or it were at the foundation of it. So what was the the administration or can you talk about how like how it was sold? And it's like, did you have to go to the team guys and say, hey, you know, we really do need to use the dog. And then you go to the administrators and it's like, look, this is why we need them. And, you know, without getting into a lot of the specifics of what they do, what they can and can't do and the capabilities and everything else. But what was that? Um what was that like? The only reason I ask is because that I think that this comment is going to be pretty similar to the United States where you have a, like a very successful SWAT team or special operations team, whatever you want to call them here, depending on where you're at. And a lot of these dudes, like one of their first things they say is, well, I don't need a dog. Or we're going to, you know, the dogs are dickheads or whatever. Every time I work around a dog, motherfucker tries to bite me or some, some bullshit. And so what was that process like of being like, oh, I was a general purpose handler. And then I became an operator. And now I'm going to be an operator with a dog and you guys got to deal with it. So what does that look like over there? Yeah. So originally, originally the dogs that we had were just glorified GP dogs. They didn't really have any advancements in their capabilities. So they were basically land sharks that were really highly strung and had to have a lot of control put on them by the handlers. My cert dog that I had, um, Petey Costa, land shark, dog aggressive. I had so many issues with him when it started ramping up, you know, breaches, all that sort of stuff on entry points. And then to the point where he, 
you know, redirected on me because he was frustrated because he couldn't get in there and do the job. Um, how we – so it's been a constant battle since pretty much myself and another um, operator sergeant, Denny Hess, we went over to um, – we work with the SF group um, and had a really good look at their system and their capabilities. That was in 2014. So then we brought it back, um, the concept – brought back to um, at, to CERT in Queensland. And we had a lot of naysayers. And, and to be honest, you're always going to get it because, unfortunately, canines cost money. And you don't always, in the, our command, you know, like it, a, a police unit costs money. That, that's just it. And they always try and look at saving costs and all that sort of stuff. And sometimes canines, you know, bang for buck. You don't always get it depending on how good your handlers are. So I reckon that that's... A, another sideline issue but we had a lot of we had a lot of um, pushback in relation to the application of the canines in cert so we had to expand on the capabilities and from our glorified gp dogs and that's why the sf team really supported us with the, the expansion of our capabilities you know we do we do off lead out fronts with the control of the e-collar um you know, now we're implementing ODA into the new Gen 3 dogs, uh, which is just explosive detection. Uh, we've hit on five odors. That's that's a progressive evolutionary capability that we're still working on. But generally the dogs now are high level, but they have solid IFF within the team environment um, and listen to basically any of the operators when required. And it, I suppose that is the difference, and that's where we're constantly having to sell the program, um, getting those dogs out there in the limelight um, to be noticed and go, well, hey, this is an effective tool and capability. Let's keep pushing on. We've had some negatives um, in Gen 2 where the dogs bitten operators accidentally, not, you know, whether it's nighttime ops or whatever, and it's, you know, Unfortunately, that happens. We You can't avoid that, but we try and avoid it why now we're integrating the dogs constantly into our training programs and um, and making them part of the team. So the boys are confident and on, on task that they're doing their jobs and the dogs are doing their jobs. So we have had a lot of, a lot of um, change, a lot of pushback, but I think we're pushing now with the program that we've got We've got um, TWD Handler Course 1.1. I'm pushing now. The next part will be 1.2, which will include the tracking component. Um, the tracking component was done through the dog squad, the general purpose dog squad, but now we'll take carriage of that and put it within our tactical working dog handlers course. It's so a bit of a long-winded answer. I apologise for that. It's just we no. had... No, that, 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 that's a, actually it was perfect. Yeah, I, perfect. I suspected yeah. that's what you were going to say. And that's why I ask you. <laughs> Is there um, a big dick contest between uh, training at CERT and the GP trainers that have been doing it for a while? Um, to be honest, I don't. I don't know what the GP. So I'm sure there'll be neg- naysayers there. You know, they sort of this and that. You're always going to get that, no matter what environment you're in. But. Um, we try and stick to ourselves because the boys have got a lot of skill sets to maintain, including the dogs. So, um, to be honest, they don't really get time to listen to the crap that, that is carried on outside of the section. Um, 
And if there is, we, we just make sure that the boys are um, on song with their skills and their standards to to prove the, the naysayers wrong. You know, that, that's how we do it. On the ground is where we make the difference and show up our uh, our knockers, I suppose. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, if people would stay in their lane a lot, it'd be it'd be pretty nice. It'd be nice for people to do that everywhere. It'd be pretty good. So, yeah, there's there's always going to be that inner. You guys are in the same, technically in the same department. There's always going to be kind of that thing. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. Um, we have some really good sponsors. Guys, don't fast forward to it. Make sure you check on the show notes, get the uh, discount codes, and we'll be back with uh, guest number three, Ben, of our uh, Australian series. We'll be right back. So sorry to interrupt the great conversation we are having, but we have amazing sponsors that we need to bring to you. Um, one of our favorites, one of our oldest is Southern Coast Canine. The folks down there, the Heisers, they are great folks down there in Smyrna, New Smyrna, Florida, right? They got everything you need to do down there, guys. Um, full service kennel, southerncoastcanine.com. Give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. The uh, Southern Coast Canine folks have killer dogs, guys. Everyone we've seen have been badass. Check them out on Instagram at Southern Coast Canine. Everybody knows that training is super important. One of the best training conferences in the country is HITS. It's by canine handlers, for canine handlers. HITS canine, letter K number nine dot net. The largest vendor show in the country, the largest giveaway for handlers in the country, and some of the most skilled instructors in the country, plus Eric and I. We're going to be there July 6th through the 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona, bringing the HRD Roadshow to everyone there doing the presentation about scenario-based training and then they've got everybody there from the industry to do fantastic presentations also uh classifies and, and sort of uh, for your training hours when you come back to your department so it's going to be in scottsdale arizona july 6th to the 9th be sure to hit up jeff barrett 863-529-5113 uh or hits k9 letter k number nine dot net the other big thing that guys mess around with and don't get right is nutrition for their dogs. Our good friends down at Kinetic Dog Food, they got it right. Uh, especially if you own a kennel. Uh, like there's all kinds of problems that go along with owning a kennel with a lot of dogs, kennel stress and things. These guys are great. They service some of the largest kennels in the country. KineticDogFood.com. Their stuff is so good. Give them a call. 513-615-6904. Kinetic Dog Food on Instagram. Wonderful people, wonderful food. Check them out, kineticdogfood.com. Next up, we have a sponsor that's moved us for quite a while, Quick Derm by VetCare. This stuff is magic. For whatever reason, working dogs have this uncanny ability to hurt themselves in fantastic and magical ways. Don't let small problems be big ones. Happy tail, torn up paws. Uh, one of our good buddies and also one of our interviews, uh, Jake Hutchinson, had a, uh, his dog got kicked in the face by a horse. The stitches were healed up very quickly with vet care. I use it on my tattoos. Uh, Alicia just got a new one and she's using it as well. Stuff is magic. So hit him up at vetcare.us. Use the discount code 10WDR for 10% off your first order. Awesome stuff. Our brand new sponsor, guys, and he's a good dude, man. He really is a good dude, good trainer. He's been on the podcast, friend of ours. He's worked with us at HRD, great decoy. Jim O'Brien down at NCK9 in North Carolina, obviously. NC stands for North Carolina. NCK9, letter K number nine. Uh, great stuff, guys. Their police dogs are good. 
floppy ear, pointy ear, dual purpose, single purpose, handler schools, better weather than we have in Ohio. Give them a call, 919-438-0141. Check out his website, nck9.us. Hit them up on Instagram, at nck9llc. For them, guys, training is not a job. It is their life. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. The uh, um, continuing on the Australian series, we're getting into the uh, special operations uh, police side, tactical unit stuff with the dog. Um, are was there a something that happened, like one particular incident that that spawned the the discussion of bringing the dogs in? Or was like, hey, we this went wrong, or this could have been handled differently had we had a dog. Sometimes that there's a there's an event that's a catalyst for change like that. The the biggest change for us, so we never had a dog up until um, a year and a half ago in Cairns. So Cairns is the the, the, the little brother to the Brisbane cert, um, which is our capital city in um, Queensland. So it it's, it took a lot of years to be able to. Um, push the dog side of it and that capability because we don't we've only got two teams up here in Cairns compared to Brisbane where they got four the dog is a vital um, support structure to our capabilities and, and and basically containment and that expansion of skill sets because we don't have the numbers that dog makes up for you know two or three operators that can potentially take out the target in a less lethal capacity so um how how we've tried to push that with other with with our unit and obviously the command is is the one that we have to sell because they're the ones that sign the checks. I think um, Senior Constable Leonard when he was running Cuda in Brisbane, so he's only just recently transferred up to Cairns. We had a really good win by doing an exercise on the Gold Coast, and he'll probably elaborate more on this. But um, basically. We had a lot, they used the drones, they used a lot of other capabilities, which failed. And they were doing, a, it was multiple hostage, uh, multiple targets, um, civilian hostages, blah, 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 in um, down in the Gold Coast in one of the major shopping centres. And he utilised the canine where, you know, it was a hostage rescue, so I was muzzled up. Um, he nailed, I think it was two um, tangos, um, two role-player tangos, you know, saved a number of hostages. And from that point and the control that he had on that dog through that fight through of of that structure or um, building, the command then saw the benefit of that canine and the evolution of where we were to where we are going to be. And I think that was a big seller for us in, in relation to pushing um, the capability forward into that next gen um, and getting the command on side supporting us financially. Because at the end of the day, we have the knowledge base here. We just don't have the, unfortunately, every jurisdiction has financial issues. So, you know, and funds are shared between multiple portfolios. So we just have to take a little bit of pie and try and work with what we can with the uh, the money we've got. In this, in the um, tactical unit that you're in, without getting into tactics, what do you see? So, again, here you have some full-time SWAT teams. It's probably what do you say, Ted? One percent of SWAT teams in this country. 
maybe 1% of them are, are full-time. The rest are just part-time guys, right? They work regular patrol. Yeah. Yeah. Detectives <laughs> and yeah. whatever. Um, so the dogs, you know, if they have a dog tied to their team, it's very rare. It's a patrol dog like you were talking about in the past. Um, and they use them for perimeter containment mostly, if they use them at all. Um, I was on the SWAT team for 14 and a half years. At one point, there were four handlers on the team. We never used dogs ever. I think we we're busy. We we're doing a call out a week. And I think I probably used my dog three times in 14 and a half years on the team, three times. Um, and it was all always on perimeter. And in Ohio, we have basements like guy where in basement going down basement steps is dangerous. It sucks, man. And if you end up being the basement crew, you get your guy behind you and he's squeezing. You're like, all right, here we go. And you just haul ass as fast as you can down the steps. So, cause there's this fear the guy's going to be behind the steps and shoot you with his pistol. Um, so what do you see optimally in the way you guys work things is the right usage of the dog for the tactical stuff. We used to have a misconception. Well, it's not a misconception. We, we utilized the canines when I first started insert as a containment black roll, you know, squirters out, out the rear of, uh, of the properties. So, and they all used to always used to get thrown that, that bone, you know, like hopefully that we get a runner. So, the change that we're trying to create with our new capabilities and expansion within the dog, within the team, is that the dog is in the entry. He's not sitting on a containment position. He's Johnny on the spot. He's, he's um, hooked onto a tether to the handler, going through clearing the building or the structure or whatever it is, and then when required, he's un untethered and sent forward to clear rooms, structures, areas, because obviously with our canines, we have cameras. Um, um, they've been placed on their backs or on their harnesses. So boys can send a dog forward and and basically clear the um, objective in, in without putting themselves in harm's way. So that's that's the beauty of the canine. So we've just got a – it's just a teaching or a um, uh, changing people's mindset of the, the application of the canine. But yeah, you, you push him forward. Potentially, he could get shot, but that's his GF for him. That's that's what I look. And if he gets shot, yep, he's he'll get a bowl at the bar or whatever. But it saved one operator or two, potentially two operators, from getting whacked. That's how I see the canines. You know, they're uh, they're a force multiplier by by closing the gap between us and the targets. And I think that's the effective way of using them. Um, it's just amazing, basically changing mindsets, really, and people's past interactions with canines. So, and that's why we go through a quite a fairly vigorous process with our selection of canines. So they actually can work closely with the teams. We're not getting that friendly fire. They're solid OFF, um, yeah, and the boys are comfortable and can do their job without having to worry about if that canine's going to tag them or not. So during your selection process, since those dogs are generally homegrown um, for multitude of reasons, what does um, that look like? Are the dogs a little bit older? And like, how was the selection process go? And when we go through this conversation, because you're also uh, a Nipopo guy, uh, we'll kind of like bleed into a little bit of that. But so um, what, uh, you know, in terms of both dog and handler selection, like what does that look like for you guys? So with, um, so there's only probably myself and senior counsel Leonard are probably the 
developers that develop our canines within our unit. Um, I do a little bit other stuff in my private time with um, with the SF units. But how we we look at it, I try to include as many people as I can for the selection process because ultimately um, you're picking a dog that, um, you know, you're putting 18 months into and you don't want to come to that time and he's going to have a, he's, he's going to fail on you. So we constantly are doing milestone assessments every three months um, throughout, the, throughout the development program. But, yeah, the, the initial selection, um, I use blokes like um, Canine Solutions Australia, uh, a lot of the, some of the blokes from SF units that I work closely with, I get them to support the selection because um, it is a bit of a pressure cooker, you know. If you don't get the right dog or you're not seeing something or you're you know, some blokes have got more experience than others in, in that selection. I think that's the important part. Don't do it by yourself. Have more – the more eyes, the better it is because then they're seeing something that you're missing or, you know, they might have picked up something in a past canine that, you know, is showing up in the potential litter that you're looking at. So that's how we do that puppy selection. And obviously we're relying on the breeder or the vendor too to support that. Um, we try and get – vendors that are honest um, and we work closely with because they know if, if they're not honest with us then we don't use them again um, and that's you know it's constantly if they're getting a dog to us and it goes op or operational that's a big win in their you know feather in their cap so they want to make sure that these dogs are successful and they try and make the genetics successful too so but that, that's the, that the selection process of the puppies. We always start at eight weeks or 10, ten weeks um, for our dogs because, unfortunately, there's not a lot of people out there that can train the capability that we want um, and, yeah, and then integrate it into the team environment to make sure that that capability fits in with our, um, with our support structures around um, the unit. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned something earlier, and I meant to, I didn't say anything, but you know, you guys breed the working dogs, um, which in the United States is a no-no here. And there, and Eric can talk about it too. But I, I've seen department policies that are that strictly forbid breeding of a dog, which is the stupidest thing in the world. We spend all this money importing these bad motherfuckers all the way from Holland or wherever they're from. And then they just go off into the ether and work and that's it, right? Like, so you have, you know, multiple years of genetic generations of genetics built into making this badass dog. And then it just stops because some dickhead with stripes on his sleeve is like, oh, that's a bad idea. We can't do that. It looks bad. And then they're like, and now it's 2021 and people are like, oh, there's no dogs available in Europe. And I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> you know why, right? We bought them all and we didn't breed them. So um, it's interesting because, you know, you guys do, you start out at a puppy, right? Like here, Eric and I were talking about it before you got on, you know, like guys, you know, we, we saw what we hear, we, we, call, we call them green dogs and everybody is pushing the age of green dogs one direction or the other. And the dogs need to be ready for this and ready for that. And departments have truncated timelines and the dogs have to be ready in, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, however, it's just super short timeframes. So it sounds like you aren't working on, I mean, you're putting 18 months into a dog. But I mean, for me personally, right? So I'll buy a green dog from Holland. Uh, he gets shipped in. Uh, and when he gets in, you know, 
He doesn't know how to track. He's gone no odor. He can probably buy a sleeve and a suit. And I've got 10 to 16 weeks to get him to a point where he is done, done, and ready to go find people and find drugs or bombs. And it sounds like you guys have started the puppy stage and, you know, get through the process. And I think some of that is because of where you're at. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, breeding and it's something that Eric and I, and, you know, we had, you know, Mike Ritland on and we had, um, this Mike Suttle on, um, and, you know, advocated for that because both of those guys have imported some bangers and, you know, they just go off into the sunset and we never hear from them again because they are police dogs or whatever. So, um, because of that, and I want you to kind of drive home the point that, um, you get a lot out of raising that dog in its in, in its working environment, and how six how much of a six portion of the success of that is to the program? Like how successful or how how good is that to the success of the program? I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I think, and obviously, um, you know, like I've done the buck, bellum, um, silver, and gold. Bart always talks about you know the dog's mother language and all that sort of stuff. So. From day dot, we create a mother language that integrates into our system or our program. So then the dog, with starting the dog at a young age, he's basically becoming part of the pack at that age. So then he knows exactly who whose dad's mates are. We all have, have one master developer or one developer, but that dog is constantly integrating with the team um, every day or if not at least once or twice a week depending on his age. Um, you know, the, the, the things that I, I like from doing from eight to 12, uh, correction, eight to 10 weeks is that you can iron out all those little deficiencies. You're getting a green dog from a supplier or vendor at, I don't know, 12 months, and then you put your little tweak on it. Um, it realistically, that's that probably has to happen that way if you're a bigger um section or like at the minute we've only got two dogs like brisbane cans and one in development so we will have to eventually go down that path um but i suppose with the sideline business i'm doing i obviously develop sf dogs um so the boys assess their milestones every three months so we have a program and i have um um standards that those dogs need to constantly meet every three months and basically all the um uh, their their requirements under their uh training program or package that they must meet like ob and all that sort of stuff so i understand that those boys don't get time to train at the minute we have blokes here that we can train so it works for us ultimately that won't happen in the future because you're going to lose that skill set over time, you know, blokes are going to move on, blah, blah, blah. So you'll, I, I think integrating the dogs into the teams early definitely creates that bond, that that pack mentality between the operators and the dog. But I understand too that it, it's not always going to work depending on the size of the section, how many dogs you're going to roll through. Uh, the second part of your question with us, we look at, so we've got two blokes in Brisbane, Jewel handling one of the TWDs and two blokes up here. So we look at, um, like, one of the blokes up here was as green as, like, never really handled a dog. And it's not so much that that we're looking for. It's it's that ability to learn quickly, um, his ability to um, work under pressure. 
and be able to problem solve. That's really how we look at our handler selection. You know what I mean? It's not they're not the best on the field, but they have great work ethic. Because obviously, dogs you're gonna have to do a shit ton of hours outside to be able to maintain or expand that skill set. So um, we we choose people that you know we know are gonna put the hours in because otherwise, if they don't, the standard of the dog is gonna be quite low, and he's not and he's gonna potentially fail on our program. And then, you know, we're going to have a loss and then the bosses are going, well, what's the point of having this program? It's costing us X amount of money. So we're constantly looking and evolving with that side of it, but we also have to look at um, who we put behind the dogs to make sure that they're, they've they got really good work ethic and, and are quite got the smarts to be able to adjust um, to problems that they'll see every day in the dogs. I was listening to an episode of Police Canine Radio a couple episodes ago, and they had a guy on there. It was pretty interesting. They had a guy on there who uh, does the dogs for the uh, conservation. Kind of, uh, Ted and I had a guy on. This guy's a little bit different, tracking people, um, doing apprehensions, kind of in more of the, um, the the real dangerous parts of Africa. And they were talking to him about his handler selection. You know, I found this interesting. I might try this too. Is maybe not even so much uh, for handler selection because. Now in the private industry, I get who the agency sends, right? That's who. So I, I don't even get much say. They maybe ask. I've had one department ask me to sit in on the interviews, um, but he has them come in, and there's you know all tests and interviews and physical stuff and all. That. But he has this thing where he has the two guys come in. Say they're down to two candidates. They have two guys come in to a room. One has a clicker. He's told that he is to try to get the other guy to sit on the countertop or something. (laughs) And then the other guy is told, come in the room and figure it out. See what this guy wants you to do. And he doesn't know at first that he has a clicker. So what they end up doing is they end up picking the guy who seemed to get it better to get the, the meaning and the timing of the clicker. And then the guy who doesn't know anything with a clicker, he's like, what the fuck's this guy clicking for? Okay, hot, cold, that type of thing. I found it to be super interesting. And they said, actually, it it's really works out really well. A uh, little kind of brain games and things like that. And by the time they're done with that, and when they, because those guys help a little bit with the training and, you know, early on, um, then the guy already, oh, this is why we did this. This is why we had this clicker in the, in the test. I thought, I thought that part was pretty interesting. Um, you could come up with all kinds of dick, dick, you know, brain games and messing with people that all have a, a point to it. I think I know Bart does that on the, the silver, doesn't he? Um, he uses the clicker and shapes behavior with just the um, students. And that's, a, that's actually a quite a, um, an interesting way of pushing the selection process for your applicants. I think that's quite very, very valid, you know, like problem solving, you know, utilizing someone that doesn't know anything, which the dog is. Ted would use the clicker to bring the guy in and teach him to go to the fridge and bring him a beer. 100%. (laughs) You're in. You're in. (laughs) No shame. (laughs) There's an episode of the league. If you, if for the Americans, well, maybe in Australia, I don't know, but there's a, there's a, there's a comedy show on, um, I think it's on Comedy Central. I don't remember, but there's a, a dude. There's an episode where they're all college friends and they all have like a f- fantasy football league. And every time he clicks a pin like that, 
one of the other one goes, do you want a beer? And he's like, yeah. So the entire episode, he literally just clicks and, and like this guy's wife looks across the room. She's like, what the fuck? How, how did you get him to do that? He's like, ah, I got really bored when I was in college. And so 15 <laughs> years later, every time he double clicks the pin, he's like, you want a beer? And he finally was like, why do I keep asking you if you want a beer? He's like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I wouldn't have zero shame. To that. <laughs> There's like three episodes of the office where Jim does that to Dwight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break real quick, real quick, and then we'll be back. Uh, so don't fast forward through these. Working Dog Radio, we love our sponsors. This episode is sponsored in part by Ray Allen at rayallen.com. Everything for dogs. Check out their uh, 10% discount code using Working Dog Radio, all caps. Rayallen.com for everything dogs. Be sure to check out Dogtra also. Eric and I love Dogtra. It's what we both use at the kennel each day. I like the 1900S. Be sure to check them out at dogtra.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. Are you going to the Hits K9 this year, guys? The biggest and best conference in the United States, July 6th through the 9th, Scottsdale, Arizona. Hitsk9.net. Give uh, Jeff Baird a call, 863-529-5113. Making sure you have the right dog food is a super important part of running a working dog, whether it be police dogs, military dogs, or hunting dogs, or search and rescue. We like Kinetic Dog Food. The guys at Kinetic can be found at kineticdogfood.com. Area code 513-615-6904. Hit them up. We got a brand new sponsor, our good buddy, Jim O'Brien, down at NCK9 in North Carolina. Full service kennel, police dogs, single purpose, dual purpose, handler schools, trainer schools. Check them out, nck9.us. Last but certainly not least is Horizon Structures. If you want a one-stop shop, drop it off and put dogs in it and ready to rock. Hit them up, horizonstructures.com forward slash commercial dash dog dash kennels. Horizon Structures will be able to hook you up. All right, we're back. Uh, covered some of the selection stuff for the handlers and for the dogs. Um, and then uh, covered a little bit of some of the training stuff. And we started kind of delving into some of the problem solving. So, you know, you guys raise the puppies or at the point that you're at now in your program, you're able to, which um, at my kennel at Torchlight, the ones, the dogs that we've had that are the most successful, the dogs that... Um, I got really, really, really young. Um, a couple of them we've raised from puppies, other ones who got, you know, four or something months old that are babies and raised them. And um, one of them is a SWAT dog now. Um, he is a fantastic example, but I raised him, right? He lived in my house. And, you know, there's a lot of work and there's a lot that goes into that that's to be said. So um, that said, <laughs> we do all this work. Right. And then we turn them over to a dude that's like not a trainer. And, we're, you know, and Eric kind of before the break talked about how they did that in uh, some of those poaching, the anti poaching dogs about how, you know, the, the clicker deal and like, you know, how we go back and forth. So, how, you know, in, in when you start selecting handlers for that process, um, you know, are from day one, like, so you have, so you have you and one of the other constable or like the, guys that are helping train the dog. So how integrated is the handler in the process of training from eight to 10 weeks old, all the way through operational stuff? So we try and, um, 
we try and we we talk, uh, we t- call it OJT, so on the job training. So um, we try and get the handlers that are going to be taking on the dogs to support the developer with, you know, just little things. Ob, just understanding luring, shaping, you know, classical operant condition, all those things that are covered off on the NEPO system. Um, they do once like after the OJTs, they then um, they then push them onto the course. The, the tactical working dog course. So we've only won, run one, the inaugural one, last year. Um, <coughs> excuse me, which went for four weeks. We are expanding it to now five weeks, and they we then go more into detail. But because we have a very um, strict timeline and it's condensed, they have to know it really well before they go on it because we're going to be skipping over. We've got a lot of stuff to cover in that four weeks, including um, scenario-based skills and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, the theory, theory is really condensed, but it is passed over quite quickly. So that OJT side of it, which will start selecting a handle about two years out from replacement of the old handlers. So, yeah, so they'll, they'll do a stint Good. on the dogs four years so they'll um you know and this is all um it's evolving so we'll probably test and adjust over time but um we look at giving the boys four years on the dog and then they move out off the dog they'll support in that instructor role but two years out we'll try and select or start looking at selecting a handler to replace that the old handler and then he can start integrating with those handlers, doing OJTs, um, you know, scenario-based stuff, whether he becomes decoy, getting qualified as a decoy to support that bite development and all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of how we integrate our new handlers to replace our old, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you, when when you get into the, the nuts, like really into the training, are you uh, then non-operational? They pull you out? Are you sitting there with the uh, with the phone waiting, and you still got to go do? Yeah. No, they um, they leave us alone for that period, unless it's a massive job and they need numbers. But generally, they leave us alone on course. Um, we, we're not on call during course. Um, yeah, only because the factors are we we have so much and everything's condensed down. And every day is like full on. We don't have the time to lose a bloke for you know a day, little like half a day or a week. So yeah, they do leave us alone for that period. So I, I, one thing I was going to ask you a while ago when we were talking about the use of the dogs and kind of where you see it. So, and we mentioned a little bit in Ohio, we have basements, Oklahoma, some basements as some do, some don't, um, you know, places have trailers where guys hide and there, there's always a, a, a few of the standard hiding places in here. If they're in the basement, it's going to be behind the water heater. Uh, by the dryer, you know, uh, one of those types of things in a crawl space down there, there's attics and things like that. Where, like if you're doing a barricaded subject or a warrant service in Australia, based on the, the way the houses are built, where's your hiding spots you find? Yeah, we don't have a lot of basements, obviously. Um, yeah, that's not built into the structures of the uh, residential homes up here. Probably roof spaces are probably a fairly um, significant one um, up here, and it's it is a bit of a risk throwing the dog up into roof spaces, obviously with with uh, electrical wiring and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, um, I know the Victorian Sog had one bloke. Um, he just concealed himself under a heap of um, bedding and um, mm. 
uh, yeah, and basically the dog pushed over. He was indicating, and then eventually I think he did engage on the target, which the boys sort of paid off at the time. So the dog did do a really well, really good job there. But I know uh, Andrew's done a few roost spaces. Um, he had one job in Brisbane, which I'll let him touch on when you speak to him. But um, old mate had a um, like a a cavity in behind a um like a dresser, I suppose, and in front it was yeah, it was like where people keep all their perfumes and all that sort of stuff. And behind this mirror was a a um like a little cavity with a door on it. So obviously they're trying to distract the dog with the perfumes and and all that sort of stuff where old mate was concealed and it wouldn't have been any bigger than like a little bar fridge, you know. So um so he did well to get himself in there. And it did actually quite well. He um, the perfume did distract the dog. Um, and there's a couple other things that, set, that threw the dog off the scent. And eventually it just looked out of place at the time when the operators end up, I think, um, cracking that little root, um, closed space and finding an old mate concealed in there. But that was that was probably a little bit of a tricky one for, for uh, Andrew. But, yeah, majority of the time it was spaces. Eh? Yeah, that's about right, about right here. And you're right, those suck. Those are dangerous, man. I never liked him as a handler. Uh, we've had guys uh, go up put the dogs up there and the dog and the guy fall through the that, ceiling. That literally happened to us uh, December 22nd, I think, here. Um, they had a guy that was um, – he was on some high-risk warrant or some bullshit. Some guy was shooting at cops and being an idiot. And um, he ran into a house and then he ran into another house and the, the neighbor said they saw him in there and they ran through the house, couldn't find him. And, you know, they were about 100% sure he's in the attic. Dog comes in and 100% good. The handler's like, oh, he's he's up there. And the body cam is great because he says, the dog goes up and he's like, oh, yeah, no, he's definitely up there. And you hear him start screaming. And then the handler pops around the corner and the guy's hanging through the fucking drywall out of the ceiling. And he's being held up by his leg and the dog's got a hold of his arm. And they tag him with the e-collar and he outs him and he swan dives into the living room and rips all the shit out of the ceiling. <laughs> And the dog yeah. is doing him a favor. No, nah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the handler hits him with the e-collar and he pops off and, you know, dude lands on his face and they're like, I told you, <laughs> you didn't think, but yeah, no, those are fucking dangerous. That happens here. Um, it's always a last resort thing. They used a pole cam before it. Um, and I think that was the dog was the, the before they were going to gas it because people actually lived in the house and they didn't want to fucking tear it up and they weren't a hundred percent sure he was up there and all this other shit. And then the dog ends up finding him. And so here we are. And of course the handler is wearing all of his shit on his SWAT shit. So he can't fit through the hole. He can't get up there with the dog. And he's like, well, uh, this is a shit sandwich. So yeah, but it ended up working out well, but yeah, we don't like doing those. We get a lot of them where, so here uh, we have a lot of crawl spaces, so it's not a basement, but it's this, you know, I don't know. It's about this big well, void space. Yeah. yeah. You know, but yeah. below the foundation and shitheads hide in there all the time. And it's just plumbing and spider webs. Spiders. Fucking spiders. I'm out. I'm not, <laughs> uh, fuck. I'll let my dogs bite me all day. I'm fucking spiders. Especially in Australia. I told Pat's too. I'd shoot a spider. I'm fucking, especially the ones you guys have down there. So, <laughs> but uh, for sure. So, Eric, you wanted to talk it a little bit about the similarities and differences with uh, some of the Neopopo stuff, right? Yeah. So, um, over here, and I, I don't know about there, over here, and this is still kind of a, an epidemic. And I've talked about this a lot. You know, when I got into canine in 05, the guys that were the trainers, they didn't really use e-collars all that much. 
we had nine dogs and we had the e-collar and the prong collar. So if your dog wasn't outing and wasn't doing the call off or recall, go get the e-collar, probably not charged, go get it out of the drawer and then go get the prong collar. If your dog just wasn't getting the, the obedience part of it. And literally we take it off one dog and put it on another dog and take it off and put it on. It, but that's just the way they understood. They knew it, but it's super pervasive the way it's still used today. And guys that even haven't used an e-collar before, maybe they're under third or fourth dog. I'm introducing e-collar to them, showing them how to do it. And, and they think you're just smoking dogs off it. Cause that's what they learned back in the day. Um, so one of the things I like to talk about is how we try to use the e-collar as not just a brake, but as a gas pedal, which is seems to me for the Napopo system that Bart does is kind of one of his big things. Can you talk about um, how you got into that, that system and what, what are guys missing that aren't doing it for, for, for yeah, the stuff that you do? Well, initially, like I was taught that same method years ago, like when I first, the e-collar and the pinch you were used as a compulsion type tool, um, you know, like, and with the introduction of Bart Bellum and, and, he, um, and his course, it really opened my eyes. And plus the um, SF boys really opened my eyes to the effectiveness of, and how the e-collar and prong collar should be used. Um, you know, we always use as a negative, and that's not the way it, it, it is designed. We we now, with our system here, we use it as a positive. You can use it as a negative, as an adversive tool, if there's a behaviour that, you know, is potentially a risk to persons or the dog, and it will create an imminent danger to that, that, that dog or person. But how we design and how we integrate the collar into our program, it's all um obviously spontaneous learning you know you start shaping shaping the dog's behavior and then we'll start um applying the collar positively um you know you everyone's sort of you know um run off bart system and I, I think i think he really opened the eyes of a lot of people in relation to how the collar should be used um the dog the dog wants to work. As soon as the collar's on now, it's nothing to him. It's just a, you know, it's a shaping, it's a shaping tool, it's a motivating tool, and it can be used if the dog is going to be injured or injures someone as an adversive tool. And I think that's the understanding that I have. I I personally with the prong collar, I don't like using that. Um, I use that as an activation tool. It can, you know, like a correction tool. I clip him up um, and tether him up if the boys are doing a fight through just stops him pulling um, but it's always on a dead ring um, we never really need to use it on a, a, a live ring because the dog is already shaped to behaviour and positively enforced with that e-collar so um, yeah I, I don't I don't correct with the, the prong collar um, and I introduce that quite late, he, he wears it so he associates it as equipment, but it, it's really never um, used as a force model. You know what I mean? That's such a not weird because that's a lot. I mean, when we get an opportunity to raise dogs, that's what we do too. But in the United States, that is what you just said is such a foreign concept to a lot of even experienced people in the United States. I mean, dudes that have been quote unquote training police dogs for 25 30 years what you just said is 
completely counter to the way that a lot of people um, were taught and have been taught and continue to train. I mean, and we talked about it when we talked to Pat and Glenn, you know, and I made the joke, like I learned how to do this because I got tired of getting fucking bit. And <laughs> I was like, Oh, you can just make him do it. Just show it, just make him do it. And, and no, and, and we, I don't make them do anything anymore. There's a couple of things that I will, you know, I will use the e-collar for a gas for a brake pedal on. But uh, for the most part, like, you know, when I get an opportunity to, it is, um, you know, self-discovery and like you just said, shapes to behavior. Um, unfortunately, that takes time. And with the United States, everything is fucking hurry, 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 hurry. And, you know, those departments expect that dog delivered in 12, 14 weeks. And I don't. And on top of that, I don't know what behaviors have been what the dog has inadvertently been shaped to. So I got to unravel that shit. And so we have to use a little bit of heat sometimes. So. Um, yeah, I mean, what you just said is I, I would consider like, if you're listening to this and you're an American handler and you're, you know, in your late twenties, early thirties, and you know, you're on your first dog and you have some dickhead that's my age or Eric's age. That's like telling you to fucking yank. Well, he's old. But, you mean, yeah, I didn't, didn't want to say it, but <laughs> yeah, she's old, right? Like he's been around for a while. He got his first dog off the ark. So, <laughs> and he's like, oh, you need to make him do it. Don't do it. <laughs> like, listen to, listen to this. We have several other episodes too, where we kind of talk about this, but that, that comment, I like, as you said that, I was like, holy shit, that's fucking revolutionary. And you're just saying it like, it's kind of like matter of fact, like, oh, we all fucking do this. No, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. funny because, you know, like I, I listened to, um, I don't know if it was a podcast or um, Pat, Pat Stewart, um, he, he gave a little talk on um, shaping and, you know, creating that active dog. So the dog actually develops behaviour on his own accord and then he puts more value in it. You know, Bart hits on this all the time. And I, I think I, I see it now as I constantly do another dog, another dog over and over again. Obviously, males are very high drive, and obviously, the the concept that Bart has is that um, um, that dog is producing on cure command an activity through heart and soul. Like he creates, he, he does it with heart and soul, you know. And that's that's basically what the dog we want the dog to do. We don't want him to do it because he's in fear that he's going to get zapped every time that he doesn't do. You know what I mean? So sometimes I understand you have to, with especially working dogs, there needs to be a consequence, and the, and but if they weren't, if they're imprinted with that shaping and motivating with the collar, they understand consequence over time. Oh, that, that's my opinion. Um, and again, everyone has their own opinions. And it works for me. It works for the dogs. It works for Mallies especially. Um, but yeah, I, I just find a system that the dog is happy to have that collar on, and he knows, um, he knows his tasks, but he can be also shaped without shutting down and still continually be active. So one of the big issues over here is guys that get into one system where they learn not maybe, well, I guess you'd call it one system, but they, they learn something early on that was passed to them and they never evolve and they never, they just, this is it. This will never um, move past it. This is what works for them. So having done this for a while, been a, a regular uh, GP handler, and being a uh, special operations handler there, um, going through the silver and the gold uh, course, what are you still learning? Like, are you still constantly, are dogs teaching you things? Or there's things that I would imagine going through the silver and gold is still a little bit of a fire hose drinking with Bart. Um, 
really, you know, getting to understand it fully. Um, so what, what do you, how do, how do you work? Are you still constantly bringing in knowledge to yourself and constantly learning from people? Oh, I think, I think like everything, Eric, if, if, if you don't learn or you think you know everything, you got to, it's time to get out. You know, like that's how I look at it. it. The dog world is constantly evolving. You have to constantly evolve with it. And, you know, that that's my thought process. I, I thought the BART, BART system was evolutionary for me, for me personally. Um, but again, like what I've learned, each dog, every dog has their own personality. Some dogs are very high drive. You got to bring them back a little bit to be able to get what you need out of it. Because again, I, I do have a timeline, and I need to meet, um, and that dog needs to meet those milestones within that timeline. So we have got to make sure that the program or the process and the system can be developed or develop that dog to meet the timeline. And I think, you know, sometimes we cheat. We use lures, blah blah blah. That's just the way mm-hmm. it is. Um, we have to do it because you know we don't have we don't have years and years to be able to, to develop these dogs, and then if we do, we then shorten their lifespan as an operational canine. So um, I, I think Bart's Bart system of Nepo Post set the baseline to be able to give me a structured system, and then I just modify it to be able to suit the dog's personality, like tracking. Um, some dogs, as as you're well aware, Mallies are very frantic. So, you know, like to try and get their head down on track, especially at a young age, it's quite challenging. So if you've got a high high food drive dog, you know, you, you load the track up, you know, you lay the scent load with, with food to be able to try and keep that that dog down and obviously use the marker system to reward. And then he starts to learn, associate that behaviour, um, that wanted behaviour, and then he'll continue to do it and then he increases with heart and soul. You know what I mean? So... Um, touching on your point, Eric, I think I, I constantly evolve with each dog and each dog's personality changes um, my training system, but I try to keep the fundamentals there. My processes are the same. It just might start at different times on the dog's development side of it um, just due to his his uh, maturity or um, his smarts in relation to learning or picking up capability or skill sets uh we interviewed a guy from um the special warfare development group um on here that was a handler for a really famous um operation and he said he was like you know when i got over there he goes i had to be good at something because everybody over there was a fucking badass with a fucking firearm and he was like i was good but like these dudes are better i'd buy something then that's why he became a dog handler um, so, you know, you're in, you know, everybody in your unit, like all those guys have to be proficient with a firearm. So, um, are you a better shooter or are you a better dog handler? Um, <laughs> I try to make it even. I'll probably, some would say, no, better dog handler. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the greatest shooter. I, I do what I need to do and make sure I do it to standard. Um, Dog handling the same, you know. Some people may say, "Oh, yeah, your dog's lacking this." Blah blah blah. Well, yeah. At the end of the day, as long as they do task or do standard, meet standards, and they do what the boys want them to do, and and I do what I require to do, I think, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that says it. What's your uh, favorite weapon over there? What's your favorite firearm? Um, 
so we use the two to threes um, as our primary and um, the, the 40 cal as our secondary weapons. Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I, I don't even see, I'm not even a gun nut, to be honest. So I just, they're, they're just another tool to support me in my role. So, you know, I get it out of the bag. I make sure it's clean. I make sure it shoots straight and I make sure I'm good with my drills. And that's about as far as I go with the gun side of it. Yeah, you're you're a fucking dog trainer. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's you gave me the answer that all fucking dog handlers give me. I talk to guys in SF and SEALs and fucking Mar- in all the special operations units, and they're like, "Ah, it's a fucking gun." I'm a dog guy. They're like, "I don't know, it's a fucking gun." I don't even have one. Like they're they're like a lot of the fucking special operations guys. Like I don't even carry a fucking rifle. Like they're like, I got a fire. They've got nine other dudes with me. I don't need to worry about it. So (laughs) perfect. Uh, It can be hard to shoot with that dog attached to you. A true story. (laughs) Yeah. So um, (laughs) I think, yeah, I mean, this has been a fucking fantastic episode. Um, You know, there's a lot of similarities between uh, what goes on down there and what goes on up here. Um, You know, and you highlighted a lot of the things that um, I think, I think that personally need to change, you know, Pat asked us a question, you know, what do we need to get on the same page as like an industry as a whole, like across the world? Um, my answer was kind of, um, not vague, but I was just like, you know, we have the same language and some other things, but you know, you highlighted some on the police side, something that I think we, as in like me and Eric and like the podcast and we have other podcasts in this country that are kind of advocating for the same thing. And one of our other companies kind of advocates for it too, but, um, you know, you kind of highlighted some things that are super important that I think need to be talked about in the United States. Um, and you guys are doing it out of policy um, and out of necessity because of the way that your laws are set up. We're doing it, not doing it here because people are in a perpetual dick measuring contest. So uh, <laughs> as far as I, I, I can I find tell. that a lot. I find yeah, that yeah. a lot with dog, dog developing, handling. You know, it is a, it is a bit of a dick measuring comp. But at the end of the day, like, everyone has little different systems. As long as you have, you know, with us, I try and make sure the boys have a similar system and that the product does the talking. You know, like, you can, at the end of the day, everyone can talk it up and say, oh, my dog can do this and that. But operationally, if he's if he's on task and he can't do it or he can't locate a fresh hunt from a car, a stolen car or whatever, then, hey, your dog's not on song. Something's wrong there. you got to start you know, obviously working on it by training or, you know, start integrating the boys more to be able to make, make sure that dog doesn't um, go off task because of distraction. So, yeah, that's um, that's how we that's how we judge our standards. So uh, I, I know you said we talked before we started recording that, you know, you have a little side hustle, mostly dealing with SF guys and dogs. But do you have you uh, do you have an Instagram page that people go see you training dogs or anything like that in? To be honest, no, no. I, uh, I pretty much have one client. Um, nice. Because, yeah, yeah, and that, that's it. It's simple for me. Um, yeah, um, and then I just stick to stick to them. They support me with development and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I Perfect. don't. Uh, and plus, I was obviously developing the dogs for cert too. So, yeah, that, that's sort of uh, where my business is at. I do a little bit of sideline stuff with develop. You know, helping uh, civilians develop you know, pups and all that, or if they've got issues with dogs, um, you know, that high level potentially dog aggression or Mm -hmm. uh, redirecting on handlers and all that sort of stuff. I do, but I don't charge charge for that sort of stuff. That's just, you know, I just don't like seeing people get 
going down that wrong path and teaching dogs the wrong thing and then all of a sudden it just goes to shit and then, um, you know, people or kids are getting bitten by these these uh, land sharks because they haven't been trained correctly. So, and I Yeah, I, I kind of wish that I didn't have a social media sometimes, you know. If yeah. I didn't have a business, I could easily walk away from it. it would be, <laughs> yeah. It's it is what it is now. So, Ted, what about you, man? Where where are you uh, located uh, at? Still, guys, real quick. I still ch- I check this too because I'm fascinated. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get, I'll find someone, and they'll message me and say, "Hey, I'm a big fan of the podcast," and I'm like, "Cool, that's awesome." I look, and they don't follow me. All <laughs> the podcast, they don't follow you either. It's so uh, I just yeah. find it to be weird. I find it strange, but whatever. Yeah. So uh Ted underscore summers on Instagram. Uh the podcast has its own thing, working underscore dog underscore radio. Uh on Facebook, it's working dog radio. Um kennel pages, torchlight canine for both working or for Instagram and for Facebook. Um it's spelled with one word, torchlight. Yeah, so uh that's where I that's where everybody sees what I'm doing every day, which is right now being cold so <laughs> and then playing with labs so um what about you uh van s canine on uh instagram and van s canine academy on facebook uh the instagram is mostly police dogs the facebook is mostly the pet side almost exclusively the pet side now because um i'm posted on there probably three times a day and then we're sharing it and there's all this other stuff to help drive the the facebook algorithm it actually works so um, our phone and emails have been ringing off the hook lately. So uh, And we have uh, Working Dog Radio on the Patreon. Hey, listen, workingdogradio.com. If you go there, guys, we have some really cool T-shirt designs up there, some that we haven't really oh, yeah. advertised much that you'll like. You'll, I think you'll find pretty funny um, that you'll like them. A lot of shit that we talk about, we made T-shirts out of it. So um, one of the other companies that we also co-own or however you want to put it, um, is HRD, which, um, you know, the Rona has totally messed up the first portion of this year and the last portion of the other. We got some rescheduled. Um, we started a new one with the SWAT integration stuff, which is a lot of what we talked about tonight, too. Um, there's a lot of the same themes that are going on in that the instruction that goes on there and then the conversation that we had tonight. Uh, and that one is March 17th to the 21st in Albany, New York, is that first one of those. Um, and I think that one is filled. I'm not 100% certain. Um, that's a Ray question. But you can hit him up, Ray, at police at hrdpolicecanine.com, and he'll be able to fill you in. But, yeah, I mean, outside of that, man, this has been a, uh, a fantastic episode, Ben. Um, you know, like I said, it was – I kind of knew it was going to happen, so I'm glad that we got to hit on all of the um, – and there were some pleasant surprises too, like raising the puppies. I mean, I figured you guys did something like that, but I didn't realize and how integral that is, and it's something that I've argued for for a long time. But like you said, it's a resource question. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's definitely – yeah, and most departments here, they don't like paying anybody. So they're not real um, – uh, they're not real patient <laughs> with <laughs> with their own – employees and much less guys like me like i have vendors so they're not the patient people in the world but yeah ben man this has been an awesome episode i really appreciate you coming on uh, thanks ted thanks eric for having us uh yeah. it's much appreciated and it was an honor to be on your program you got your reasons i got my wants still got that feeling but i'm too old to die young night
Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.